Okay, tonight we are going to continue with our study on leadership. And by the time we finish this, I think you're going to know just about everything the Bible has to say about leadership. Amen? <laughs> All right, let's begin. Any questions or comments on what we spoke about this morning? Anyone? Someone that wants to be a deacon, a male that wants to be a deacon, mm -hmm. but there are issues or... I mean, before he was saved, there are things in his life, um, let's say he was divorced, or let's say he has a child out of marriage. Um, is that taken into account? Yes, it has to be uh, taken into account. And of course, again, uh, these kind of issues, uh, because really, and no matter what we like to say, some of the issues are just not clear in Scripture. And so it has to be left up to the wisdom of the leaders as to what direction should go. But there are some things uh, that are very clear that we cannot allow a person to uh, be a leader if these things are true. Uh, but basically speaking, from my perspective, uh, we believe in forgiveness. And we like to say that we tend more towards grace than law, legalism, when it comes to Christian living. And so we try to bring all of those things in together. Now, it may be, sound strange to some of you, you mentioned about divorce, but if you read the scriptures clearly, it doesn't say that a divorced man, just for that particular thing itself, cannot be a leader. It says if he uh, is married, I mean, again, according to view, if he's married to more than one woman, he cannot. But it doesn't really specifically say that if he's only divorced but not remarried. So that's, another, that's a little technicality, a type of a thing you have to look at as well. But yes, we look at all of those things. My position is we look at the person where he is now and his relationship with God and what is he doing to enhance holiness in his life. Uh, that's where we begin the approach in dealing with things like that. So you do look at those things. Oh, yes. Meaning, meaning that he will not qualify to be a deacon if those things were present before. No, none of them are present. It's how he's dealing with them right now. Okay. How is he responding to them? Not, if we have to look, go back and say what we did before we became Christians, I don't think anybody would be able to, 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 to qualify for anything. I know I wouldn't. Pastor Anand might probably be the only one because he's always been a holy man. You know? No, but I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, it's true. If you go back, it's by grace. And you look at all of the leaders. Do you want, would you, suppose somebody comes in and says, I'm a murderer, I killed a lot of you Christians before, but now I want to become a leader. Would you let him do it? Not right off the bat, but God allowed Paul to do it. Suppose you come in and says, well, you know, you're looking for a deacon. Yeah, okay. Well, I had been in prison and all that thing. Would you let me be a deacon? Some people say, right off, no, I want no jailbird to be a Paul was a jailbird. So you see, you have to look at these things on a one-to-one -one basis. Sometimes become, the word of God is there for our directions, but still it's grace that we have to go by. And that's the important issue. Again, that's why we need spiritually qualified men to be leaders. Otherwise, they're going to make carnal decisions. You see, it's very important. You, you mentioned that um, you have to examine the wives of the deacon, right? Well, no, I didn't. Propose. I just say that's depending on how you interpret that verse. <laughs> okay. All right. But my question is this. Um, looking at the individual, if he's in business and he has a partner, 
Do you look at that as well, the type of partner in business? You look at everything because, again, the Bible said one of the qualifications is, for the, uh, is that you should have a good reputation from the unsaved as well. Uh, that applies both to the deacon and to the, 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 path, to the pastor or the elder. So really, in looking at a person, if we're going to go according to scriptures, we're going to look at the family, and we're going to look at the neighbors, and we're going to go to the grocery store, and we're going to talk to the people. When I say that, there's ways of doing that, input from your own people. But yes, if you follow the scriptures, the person must have a good reputation from the outside, from unbelievers. And uh, if you're in partnership with an unbeliever, that is something we have to look into. Because the scripture talks about uh, being in partnership with unbelievers and so on. And so that's a principle again. But again, it has to do with the leadership you have. Because some of these things take godly judgment. It's not very clear as to what you should do. And you need wisdom, spiritual wisdom for that to happen. But are you getting a sense of how important it is for godly men to be leaders in the church? And I don't think, I don't mean Calvary Bible, I, we, I'm talking about the church as a whole, is being too careful about that. I really don't. You see? Let's continue then. Now, again, I said, due to the fact that we are in the process of nominating and selecting five good and godly men to fill the positions being vacated at the end of the year, it is our responsibility as teachers to teach you what the scripture, scriptures have to say concerning leadership and qualifications. Whether they're followed as something else, but it is my responsibility, my obligation, and my privilege to teach this from the Word of God, and that's what we're seeking to do right now. That's why we're going to be in such detail here, because I believe it is very, very, it's a very serious matter to appoint men to leadership of God's people. That's why I'm being so careful here, because I want to, like, I want to be like the Apostle Paul in Acts 20. You know, he's able to say, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And I want to be sure I do that when it comes to leadership in the local church. And so because of my desire again for thoroughness, I have a real problem of doing things just halfway when it comes to teaching the word of God. Because of that, we want to look at the scriptures again. And so I hope you have your Bible. So though it's up here, I want you to be able to make notes and so on. If it's one thing, I want to be free from criticism, or at least you will not be able to charge me with this, that I didn't teach you from the Word of God. Now, you could talk about it in my presentation, all that kind of stuff. That's all right. But I want to be sure you will not have any justifiable basis to say that I didn't teach you the Word of God. That's what I'm called to do, and that's what I'm committed to do, and that's what I will do with God's, with God's help. Now, previously, we sought to establish several, several basic principles. That's a week ago when we first started. First of all, we established that according to God's divinely written manual for church polity, that's the Bible, it is his decreed will and purpose for men to lead the home and the church, not women. I believe we established that from the word of God. Secondly, we also introduced the concept that the New Testament divides church administrative responsibilities into two major categories, ruling, and that's 
the word from the Bible itself, and serving. Both of these positions or office, are, uh, both of these offices of function also include uh, a position and a function. In other words, it has to do with a position you have as well as a job that you do. Ruling is to be administered by qualified elders, and I underline, underscore, qualified, and serving to be done by qualified deacons. We believe that that is very clear in Scripture. But in order to validate these concepts and to further enhance our understanding of these two positions, this evening I would like to do what I call a historical inductive Bible study, tracing the pattern of church leadership. And we're not going to be able to do it in a condensed form, of course, but I want you to see the history of leadership in the church. We're going to focus on deacons, of course, but the way it's presented in the scripture is always entwined with pastoral ministry or elder ministry as well. And we want to see how throughout the early years of the church, God established a process of placing men in the assembly to carry out his will in the world. And actually, this pattern begins very early in the history of the church. In fact, probably the same year. Uh, if we are right, if scholars are right, the church was uh, started on the day of Pentecost, probably in the year 33, the Pentecost on that day. And so during that year 33, or perhaps into the early 34, a pattern for church leadership started. Let's look to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And we're going to look at it from the scriptures. It's also on the board or on the screen. He says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, so there's an increase. Something is happening. A complaint. So they started fighting in the church right after it started. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. It's a racial thing. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food. So you see, something else comes up right away. The caring of though the poor, for, and widows especially in this case, in the church. That comes up right away. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. It's a tradition saying that this fellow became a, uh, a heretic, actually, and he's mentioned, in the book of, he's mentioned in the book of Revelation, where Jesus says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. A lot of uh, people in, in history says, this is the guy here. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they, meaning the apostles, laid their hands on them. Now let's look at this passage of scripture. Let's do an inductive study if you want. The presenting problem. What was the problem that arose? Well, because the church had grown so large now, the 12 apostles were not able to handle all the physical needs of the body and proclaim the word. Growth brought about a change. 
They knew that if they neglected the ministry of the word, the church would suffer. And so they made this clear statement to the congregation. And this is what they said. Verse 2. It is not right for us to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's a powerful statement to make at the beginning of the church and the reason for the church to grow and the priority of the leaders of the church it is the proclamation of the word of God. But you know, isn't it amazing how in the churches that we have today, the proclamation of the word is becoming less and less. Less and less time is given to it. And it's just on that focus. Oh yeah, there's a lot of preaching, but not teaching, you see. Let's make some observations here. First of all, the apostles were the recognized leaders of the church. There's no doubt about that. Everybody knew who the leaders were. They were the apostles. Secondly, the church was growing because the word was being proclaimed. That's clearly stated or at least implied in the passage. Thirdly, the apostles placed their priority on prayer for and preparing, and preparing the, procla the proclamation of the word of God. That was their, their priority. Their priority was the proclamation of the word of God. Time for prayer and study took prior priority over caring for the needs of the saints. For them, that does not mean that the caring for the saints is not important. But it wasn't their priority. They had to find somebody else to do it. So very clear in the operation of church, we have the idea of the leaders delegating to others work that is necessary to be done, but they could not do it and because it would take away from their priority. You understand what I'm saying? This is clearly taught here. And these principles abide today as well. The apostles were commissioned to teach the doctrine. Remember in chapter 4, early it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's what they appointed themselves to do. But fourthly, they acknowledged their need for help. They could not both proclaim the word of God and care for the legitimate physical needs of the people. They needed help. And they went to this church assembly and they say, I need help. We need help. They didn't have an attitude of being indispensable. We had to do everything. They didn't have that idea. They had a good concept of what it means to be the body of Christ, where all of the members come in. They had that understanding right here. Fifth, challenging or rather changing circumstances and challenges to the ministry demand wise and innovative spiritual leadership. You have to have leadership who understand that things are going to happen, things are going to change. When you, just, when you have four, five, six, seven people come into congregation, the dynamics change. When you have different people with different economic needs, the dynamics change. And it is the wise leader, the spiritual leaders who note that and then take the steps to make sure that those needs are met and that the ministry that was going on before are not in any way hindered. So challenging circumstances and challenges to the ministry demand wise and innovative spiritual leadership. If you have men in your leadership and all they want to do is maintain the status quo, you've got the wrong leaders. I heard a pin drop. I'm serious about that. You see, change are necessary, especially when the growth, the church is growing and so on. This is why qualifications are so important. In fact, it's so vital to effective church leadership and church growth. You have to have men who are managers, who are leaders, and know how to do things. You see? The wrong men 
in the wrong place of leadership could stagnate and sabotage the work of God and turn it into a mere business operation. You could have a well-functioning institution, but if you don't have qualified spiritual men, it only becomes a business operation. But new things were happening here in Jerusalem. Things could not remain the same as they were. These men couldn't say, this thing is getting out of hand, man. We got to stop these people from coming. We don't want those kind of people to come in. The widows, widows, the poor people. That's going to affect our way of life. It's too many people. We don't want that many people. Too many demands on us. Too many changes. If you help people with that attitude, you have the wrong leadership. The apostles, though, were wise enough to know that growth brought changes. But they also knew that the changes had to be done in a timely and orderly manner and in keeping with the will of God. They also knew that new people had to be added to the team. And they made their move. So having identified the problem, and by the way, that's one of the major things that leaders have to do, is to be able to identify a problem. Because if you don't identify a problem, you cannot find a solution. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Sure. So they knew how to identify the problem. But having identified the problem now, they set in motion the process to fix it. Verses 3 and 4. And they have a proposed solution. They asked the congregation to choose seven men. They put the number. Men of good reputation and good character. They set the qualifications to perform this task of serving tables. The leadership took charge. But uh, by the way, there's no mention that they went to prayer or the fast. They did not have to spend a long time finding out God's will. Why? Because they already knew God's will. Because they were in tune with the Spirit of God in their ministry. Because they spent time in praying and studying the Word of God. I'm not saying that prayer is not necessary. But I believe there's a closeness of relationship with God that is possible. So we don't have to take off three or four days to pray and fast to find His will. Because we know it. Because we are in the Word. Because we are following his word. They knew what was wrong and they already knew what to do. That's automatic when you're walking with the Lord. Notice also they didn't wait or put out a fleece or anything like that. These men were so in touch with the spirit of God that they could know when he was leading and what he was leading. They acted immediately. They presented their plan to the congregation. They didn't ask for their approval. They didn't ask for their approval. They presented the plan. They did everything. Here it is. They will lead us, not follow us. The buck stopped with them. But they were also wise enough to seek the input of the congregation. It's a balance. They needed support of the people, so they went in order so that they could get their involvement. They presented the plan, they explained the qualifications, and provided the job description. They wanted men to do this work. But now let's do a little word study here. Let's do a little Greek study. You ready for some Greek study? All right. Let's look at some insight from the original text. 
when you look under this word deacons and to serve in this text. The word serve in verse 2 is the word diakoneo. The noun form of this verb is diakonos. That's where we get the word deacon. All right? But here in this text, diakonos does not have a technical or an official connotation. In other words, it's not saying that these fellows were official, officially church deacons. The word that is used here or the idea is giving is one who serves or one who ministers. And so there's not the idea that these men are the first deacons. They might be the foreshadow of, of it or, the, or whatnot, but they were not the first church deacons officially speaking. But yet they were serving and they were doing the work that later deacons would be involved in. So these seven men are not regarded as deacons in this text, officially, but simply servants or ministers to members of the body of Jesus Christ in behalf of Christ. That's what's going on. Let's summarize again. I'm trying to show you as I go along, and you study your Bible, when you study inductively how you ask questions and you make observations from the text. So let's, and summarizing is very important. When you're studying a text, summarizing. Another good step for you is to do paraphrasing. In other words, put down in your own words what you think the text is saying. Try to write it out without using any words in the scripture, your own words. That'll help you to really see if you understand the text. So let's summarize. Or let's make some other observations on what we've seen. Remember now we're tracing a pattern for church leadership, and this is the first one given in scripture. First of all, recognize the fact that the apostle leaders directed the process. The apostles supervised the entire thing. They recognized the problem. They proposed the solution. They explained the need. And they gave the job description. All that is there. That's leadership. That's leadership. That's taking the lead. Fourthly, they explained the reason why they could not meet that need. This is where the setting of priorities came in. They were showing the congregation the importance of setting priorities. And that means delegating things to other people. Fifth, they established the qualifications of those who could fill the need. They knew that it was only a only certain kind of man who could do this work for the glory of God. The apostles knew that, and so they explained it to the people. They didn't think that the people knew what the qualifications were. But they knew that the people could identify who had them. And then they set out the process by which the men were to be selected and approved. They supervised the whole thing. This is leadership. Now let's try to draw a principle. Let's crystallize the truth. Those are truths. Let's crystallize it. Let's put it together. We come up with what I call a derived principle from all of this. And here it is. Recognized, recognized, qualified leadership is essential for orderly and effective ministry in the local church. That is drawn from this text. But now there's an important question that immediately arises relative to how we are to apply these historical and biblical facts. We've looked at a lot of things, but how do we apply them? How should we relate Acts chapter 6 to a proper understanding of church leadership for today? How can we take these things that happened 2,000 years ago and apply them to church today? 
Now, there are four options. There are four ways. It seems when you study scriptures, you always have all kinds of options. But let's look at four of them here. First of all, we could look at what's happening in here and say that this pattern is an essential pattern for church leadership. In other words, it is binding upon us today even as it was in the apostles' day. That would mean that if we choose deacons, we need seven. Right? That would also mean that they have to fill spiritual qualifications. It will also mean that they got to serve tables, whatever that means. Now in the context, we believe it is just that. But it's possible that administration of funds were also included in this. Possible. So if we look at this as a strict pattern to be followed, then you cannot have more than seven deacons. And they must meet these qualifications and so on. In other words, taking care of the physical needs of the people. A second option is that what we see in Acts 6 is a valid option for church leadership. In other words, we could take it or leave it. It's a good idea. It's a good illustration. But we're not bound to obeying it absolutely today. That's another option. A third option is that this is just an incidental description that is irrelevant for church administration today. In other words, they're just telling us something happened. It's just a story, but it has no impact on us today. We don't need to bother with this as a model, with a pattern or a precept at all. It's just a historical record without binding force. It's like reading the story of, uh, what's the guy who hanged himself? Judas. It says, you know, go and do likewise. Now, what are you going to do with that when you get a little depressed? Go hang yourself? Well, Judas did it. It's in the Bible, isn't it? No, but we see that just as a historical record. That's not binding on us today. You understand what I'm saying? Some people look at it in that way. It's just a story. It's not binding on us. We could reject it or accept it. But I personally opt for the combination view. Um, well, I gotta, let me give it to you first. The final one is the combination of these three. In other words, the number seven is incidental, but the character qualifications are essential. All right? There are elements that we could adopt and elements we could ignore. Now, the problem here, of course, is determine which is which. Which rules of interpretation should we follow and what do we believe as being essential? I'm trying to get you for feeling to see what's Need, which, the exercise you need, the process you need to go through when you're studying your Bibles. I opt for the combination view. And I see Acts 6 as a non-binding pattern for church leadership in dealing with needs that may arise in the church. It's open to the discretion of each leadership team as to how it is to be specifically applied. Being careful, however, to reflect the core essence of the pattern because we must be extremely careful to distinguish those things that have a binding significance from those who do not. So how do we distinguish what has binding significance and what do not? Well, you go to the Bible again, looking for patterns. We could look at the epistles, because that's what deals with the church. By the way, be careful of that. Be careful how you apply Old Testament principles to the church because you could be very much confused 
We have teaching about the church in the New Testament. That doesn't mean that the Old Testament has nothing to say to us. I'm not saying that. See, that's one of the problems with people who talk about ladies being pastors. Deborah! You see? But that has nothing to do with church organization, church administration at all. So we look at the epistles. Now, do we have any sort of parallels to what took place in the book of Acts that could be an indication of an abiding principle for church leadership today taken from Acts chapter 6? Well, let's look at Paul's uh, description for, of qualifications for deacons. In 1 Timothy 8, we looked at it this morning, but just take a look at it. He says, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain and so on. He goes on and he gives us spiritual characteristics of deacons. Isn't that right? Spiritual. Now, isn't that also true in Acts chapter 6? So if we see that pattern being carried on later on, now this is the, the, the passage in 1 Timothy 3 was written 30 years after the passage in Acts chapter 6. 30 years. But the pattern is still there. If you want men to be deacons, they should have spiritual qualifications. So we could say that the pattern holds. If you want deacons, then they must have these spiritual qualifications. You see what I'm saying? You look for patterns to establish whether or not one pattern is for us today and can be applied to the church. In other words, the fact that the deacons in 1 Timothy 3 are to be godly is a strong indication that the pattern set forth in Acts 6 concerning godly character is also something we should carry on. It is also the idea of service because the word itself means service. Now, here are some other questions. Is it significant that the church only added deacons when it reached a certain size? Because that's the only time. And we're going to see that's another pattern. Not all churches had deacons. In fact, we see right here that the church didn't start off with choosing deacons. And there's a pattern you will see that the churches did not appoint deacons until certain needs arose. All right? Because sometimes we have the idea that deacons were part of the church from the time it was first established. No. If you follow the history, it probably wasn't until 28 or 30 years afterwards that they had what we would call official deacons, although we had people who were doing ministry or servants, serving as servants. In other words, the question is, are deacons a necessity for every church, regardless of their size? If you follow the pattern in the New Testament, you have to say, no, they are not. If you follow the pattern of the New Testament. Now, I'm talking about the New Testament. I'm not talking about denominations or tradition. Is it significant that the congregation voted on who should serve tables? Is this always necessary, or can the pastors do so without involvement of the congregation. If you go there and you see that pattern and that's the only place you see it, there's a question. But if you go and you follow pattern, you see that the elders themselves, the pastors themselves are choosing, then you see something else. And we're going to see that in church history, that there are times when the elders themselves or the apostles chose these men. They weren't selected by the congregation. So you have to be careful how you take a picture or how you look at the New Testament, you have to see the flow. Don't just take a snapshot. Because that snapshot could change over here. You understand what I'm saying? Let me ask you another question. 
Is it significant that only men were chosen in Acts 6? Is there a biblical basis for women deacons or deaconess? This is a term, by the way, which is never used in the New Testament. There's never a female usage of the word deacons. Now, Phoebe, of course, was called a deacon, a servant, or a minister. Now, some people say, well, the word was used, but it wasn't referring to an official deacon. It was referring to her as a servant or as a minister. It's still up for debate by many scholars. And when you notice this morning, when you go to 1 Timothy 3.11, it depends on how that word wives, or that word is interpreted, whether it's wives or whether it's a woman, as to how you do it. So that's another thing you have to study about very carefully. Now, let me give you some more biblical references, because that's what we're doing. We're trying to follow a pattern. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul addresses the saints at Philippi. He says, together with the bishops and deacons. And so you see a twofold division of leadership here, clearly seen. In fact, by the way, we also have the division of every church. Well, not every church. You have a division of the church here. You have the saints. Then you have the leaders, deacons, in this case, and elders. But now, Philippians 1.1 was written in 61 AD, 30 years 28 years after the church was founded. This is the first time it is mentioned here that deacons were in a church along with pastors in Philippians 1.1. Of course, we know that the church was founded on the day of Pentecost, whether you want to put it 32 or 33. But it's the first time here that deacons are mentioned in an official capacity as a part of the church. In 61 AD, not until then, are they tied in with the elders. That says something. Incidentally, bishops are the same as elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers. I mention that again and again. These terms, and I want to focus on this because we don't realize the significance of this, how people have disregarded this fact throughout history and why we have such a confusion with church leadership today. These terms, bishops, elders, pastors, overseers, have become distorted and misused throughout history of the church. In fact... I call it the grave close of the Roman Catholicism. Because we still reflect that hierarchy type of a thing. Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you a history lesson again. I'm going to go through this quickly. I want you to look at this chart, Roman Catholicism. I'm not going to go through the whole chart with you. If you want to see what this chart you just come up to tell you all, sorry. But we just want to look up at the top right corner of the screen. Right? And you see the words bishop. Episcopos, priest, presbyteros, deacon, diakonos. You see that? That's how the Roman Catholics have divided their leadership. This is called an Episcopalian structure because it has to do with bishops. Because Episcopalian have to do with bishops. While all bishops in the Episcopal system here carry apostolic authority only the pope carries the authority of peter he is therefore the supreme bishop who exercises unquestioned authority now he is called the bishop and so are others but he's the bishop of all bishops he carries supreme authority although you've got some other people called bishops you understand i want you to see this concept 
There are no checks in this system, except the fact that the Pope cannot elect his successor. The other bishops got to do that. The succeeding popes are elected, of course, by the cardinals or on. So, but here's what I want to point out. These three offices that you see there were introduced to make up the government of the church. Bishop, priest, and he was given the name Elder, Presbyteros, given to the priest. Although in the Bible, they refer to the same person and the same position. In other words, the Roman Catholic Church gave a position to one of the titles for the same person. Are you following what I'm saying? You have a bishop. You have an overseer, an elder. Same person. But they made them a position. Are you following? And you had one supreme ruler. All right? That's from the church. That's where the confusion started. But it goes over to the Eastern Orthodoxy. Either Orthodox Church. They were the first ones to break away from the Roman Catholic Church or the Catholic Church. And they did it because of doctrine, law, because also because they believed that there was immorality within the priesthood and so on. And so they replaced the Pope, the chief bishop, chief elder, and what they put in place for authority was the ecumenical councils. All of the decisions that were made, all the creeds, they put that in place. But they still maintained that bishop, priest, idea, and so on. It still remained. But then you move over into the Anglican and the Episcopalian. They did the same thing. Bishops, priests, deacons, same thing. Then you come down to the Presbyterian. They added something now here. They added a teacher teaching pastor. He's an elder, he's a pastor, but he teaches. That's all he does. You have a pastor, he's seen as a leader, but he's not necessarily a teaching pastor. They started to divide up responsibility with the titles. In other words, what I'm saying is they took the titles and put a position to it. And it began with the Roman Catholic Church. Now, you say, well, that's mainline churches. Well, let's go to the Baptists. Because the Baptists are the ones who really started to put this thing into practice here. Now, they have a pastor, and elder, they look at it, but how they would set this up is they would see, have someone as the pastor, and then you have elders. Now, in some church, some of them, they're changing it now, but before, the elders were not really recognized as pastors. You only had one pastor. That is a reflection of the Roman Catholic Pope. Now, the Baptists don't like this, but that has been true. That's where you got the idea of a one-man ministry, now, thankfully, a lot of them is changing now. You have more of a plurality of leadership. Then you have what we call the non-denominational churches. That's what we call ourselves. And you have the pastor, elder. In other words, the pastor is recognized as an elder. But then you get some other group of men who only call elders. They're not called pastors. Now, this is in some churches. He's called a pastor, but not an elder. Or if he's called an elder, it's only a token thing. These other men, here are the elders, and here's the pastor. He's still the head man. And what happens, because of this, you have a distortion of the roles of pastor within the word of God. You have positions given to titles of the same individual. You see what I'm saying? And that has caused the confusion. It still comes down today. In all the churches, and it started way back with Rome. But people don't recognize that. Why? 
because of tradition. We've been doing it so long now, they don't see it as being wrong anymore or not in keeping with scripture. They tweak it, they twist it, and everything else, but they don't keep to the pattern. All right? Now, let's move on. I just want to see a history of that. Let's get back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Where he says, Paul addresses the saints at Philippi together with the bishops and deacons. A twofold division in the church is clearly seen. Now, the church at Philippi was probably not very large at this time, although it is well established by Paul. Paul established a church on his second missionary journey. He found some women, some women rather, who were responsive to the gospel. You know the story. That's how the church started. By the time he wrote the letter to the Philippians, the church was already 10 years old. And now we have elders and deacons in place. First time it is mentioned, is mentioned in connection with Philippi. Now look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well for the pattern. Paul also addresses two categories of leaders in the church. He gives qualifications for bishops, as elders or pastors and so on, and deacons. Deacons are assumed to be a part of the leadership of the church at Ephesus. This is now 63 AD, 30 years afterwards. Now they are assumed to be a part of the church, the same way with Philippi. So it's saying that deacons started to become more of a staple, as it were, in the churches around the year 63 AD or thereabouts, 30 years after establishment of the church. But this is the first time 30 years afterwards that we're getting the qualifications clearly written down. No other evidence that any other qualifications were written down. But now they're doing it in the year 63, 30 years after the church was founded. Why? Because the apostles started to go out of the way. They used to appoint men according to their own insight and spiritual direction. But now they're going out of the way. So they have to leave Emmanuel for the elders, for the pastors and so on. So now let's put this all together. George Knight, one of the, my commentators that I love to read, or scholar really, he says these passages, 1 Timothy uh, and the passages I read in Philippians and so on, say these passages show a twofold division of leadership ministry in the early, middle, and later time periods in the New Testament church, in key cities, in three various geographical areas, Palestine, Greece, and Asia Minor and in both Jewish and Greco-Roman settings. In other words, he's saying now the pattern is being established. Elders and deacons, and the, elder, the deacons coming on as the elders saw fit to place them in the church. Now let me lead, read you a couple of other uh, scriptures concerning deacons. Romans 16.1 I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant, that's the word deacon, of the church which is in Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Now, as I said, there's a big discussion as to whether or not she was an official deaconess or not. Most people tend to say she wasn't. She was just a servant. We have many ladies like that who minister to the saints. Isn't that right? You see? So whether this term is to be taken technically is very difficult to say right now, but as I say, most people tend not to do that, although some do. Then in Ephesians 6.21, 
Tychicus is a dear brother and faithful minister or servant. That's the word deacon. Epaphras in Colossians 1.7 is a faithful minister or servant of Christ in your behalf. That's the word deacon. Tychicus is a beloved brother, a faithful minister or servant. That's the word deacon and a fellow slave in the Lord. But no one would say that these people were official or deacons, but they were just ministers to the people of God. But of these four passages, speak of these individuals, Phoebe, Paphos, and Tychicus. These, the best candidate for meaning deacon is probably Phoebe. If you want to choose someone, that seems to be more of it. But no, as I said, not everyone does that. But for many people, the fact that both Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 3 speak of the deacons as adult males suggests that the office was limited to males. That's why most people today say you shouldn't have women deacons. Now there's another problem because in some places, like some of the Baptist churches, not all, some of them, they, the, the deacons really do the work of the elder. There's one pastor, and then you have the elders who do the work of the pastors, but are not called pastors, they're called elders. Because you, some churches don't want to call these men pastors. Why? Because there's only one pastor. And so you have really some people who are called elders, I'm sorry, deacons really doing the work of pastors. You see. My point is this, if you remove the element of, of, uh, of official position of leadership from the deacons, there's no problem with a woman being a deacon. You understand what I'm saying? It's only if it's a place of authority, that's where the problem comes in. Now, the lack of mention of deacons in the New Testament passages where elders or bishops are mentioned should also be noted. In Acts chapter 14, for instance, verse 23, Paul records that Barnabas appointed elders. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in newly established churches. But there's no mention of deacons being put in place. This is what it says. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now that was the early part. That was about 47 AD when this happened. 47, about just about 14 years after the church started. Only elders were being pointed even at that time. No mention of deacons at all. Then in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, Paul says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint what? Elders. Nothing is said about deacons at all. This was written about 65, about 32 years after the founding of the church. And still there's no mention of deacons. Now, the other passages that mention the leadership of the church and refer to elders, pastors, and so on, but no mention of deacons at all. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 19 fits this pattern. We're looking at patterns now. In the same book, that is 1 Timothy 5, qualifications for pastors and elders and deacons are given. They are given. But then later on, as it goes down further in the text, he talks about remuneration for the people, especially the elders, no mention of deacons at all. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. This is written about 61 AD, 28 years after the founding of the church. No mention of compensation for deacons, suggesting that their position may not have, what, may not have been what we now call a full-time ministry. It is also interesting to note that specific job descriptions are described for pastors and elders, but there's no job description given for deacons at all. 
none. Indicating again that if you go to the pattern in Acts 6, that it is the leaders, the pastors, the elders who give them the job description. Now, I believe that Titus 1.5 is the most instructive text along this line. Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders in every town. And then he gave the qualifications in verses 6 through 9. But he doesn't give any qualifications for deacons in Titus. Only qualifications for elders. You have to ask why. It's a pattern. The deacons only came on when the leaders thought they were necessary and changes took place. It seems likely then that for new churches, only elders were needed at the beginning. As the church grew, deacons would be added to the leadership so the elders could devote themselves more to prayer and teaching. This is the pattern of Acts chapter 6. I want you to notice something else. There are other titles given to church leaders in the New Testament. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says, We read of those who labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. That's the description of the leaders referring to the elders of the pastors. Paul had spent approximately a few, just a few weeks in Thessalonica, yet he appointed leaders before departing. See, he was an apostle. He could do that. But now when you look at the word elder, you have to say, what does that mean as well? Well, in most cases, that comes from the Jewish background, the synagogue and so on, and meant an elderly person, a person with experience. A mature person was the idea. And when you come to bishop that's, and an overseer, that's the type of work you do, but elder has to do with the dignity of the office. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Again, context, it seems that he's speaking of the elders and those who teach the word, because when you go through it, it's only the pastors, the elders who do the teaching. And so, let's quickly bring this together. First, it is evident that the early church did not always have deacons. How many of you have thought that ever since the church started there were deacons? A few. All right. How many of you knew that no deacons were there in the first year? All right. All right. But it's also evident that deacons were added when the need was felt. That need was in relation to the duties of the elders. In other words, when they got deterred from a ministry of prayer and the word of God, then the position of deacon was created. Work was delegated for them. Not the teaching of the word or the preaching of the word, but taking care of the material needs. Thirdly, there seems to have been a variety of means by which deacons were put in place. In Acts 6, they were elected by the congregation. But even here, it was the apostles, the leaders, who first suggested and permitted the congregation to do the choose, to involve, become involved. But when you get to 1 Timothy 3, Timothy himself is the one who appoints the deacons and the elders. Or deacons for sure. And I believe this, is, this was necessary, first of all, because in Titus 1.5, the appointing of elders by Titus in other words, Paul sent a delegate to Crete and to Ephesus to choose these men according to qualification he has given, and that's what happened. So we have leaders choosing men then. So you have a little difference from Acts 6. So you follow the pattern. What you see is we could, uh, we could use the, the, the method we think is best, or we could even mix them or interchange them, anything you want. Nowhere, however, do we read of elders being elected. You have in Acts chapter 20 of them being chosen by the Holy Spirit. 
please read chapter read Acts chapter 20 for this so let me give you some practical suggestions of how we could put this all together before we close biblically speaking there could or should be flexibility in whether to have deacons or not it shouldn't be a necessity to have deacons nor should we have a binding number because that don't seem to be the pattern at all you see and even having to do how long they should be one of the rules is if the need has been met then you don't need them anymore in other words there should be flexibility in the means of selection what guides the selection or who guides the process that's the job of the elders or the pastors in other words, if they get distracted from devoting themselves to prayer and the word, then they need deacons. Now, how you go about selecting them depends upon the leaders in the church, following the patterns that we have laid down. Here is an interesting comment, uh, comment by uh, another favorite commentator. This is what he says. He calls it a balanced postscript. The addition of deacons to a church really shows how vital is the ministry of prayer and the word of God among elders and pastors. And I want you to know that is very important. You cannot have any kind of quality preaching or teaching unless we have the opportunity to spend time in prayer and study the word of God. It's just impossible. You see, prayer, meditation, reflection, study. That's vital if the word of God is going to be proclaimed, you see. He says... Um, the addition of deacons to a church really shows how vital is the ministry of prayer and the word among the elder pastors. Too many elder boards deal with minor issues that could be done by others, i.e. deacons, but hinders elders from their primary duty. And I used to be involved in meetings like that. We used to get together and we used to talk about everything and what color to paint this, how to do this, how to do that. And the real important spirit, now not that those things are important, but the things that have to do with the spiritual growth of the body we weren't able to get around to. No time for prayer, you see. Too many elders, though godly, are really not able to teach. And that's a problem. Because that's one of the primary responsibilities of an elder or a pastor. Then he goes on, he says something else. At least I thought I had it here. Oh yeah. Well, he's trying to give a balance. He's saying sometimes we don't have the deacons to do the job. Other times we have elders who don't do the job they're supposed to do. Both present a problem. So let me give you some principles we've derived from our study so far. First, first, whereas male pastors' elders were first to be appointed as leaders of the church along with the follower, along and along with and following the apostles as an essential need for the church. In other words, you go through the history, you will see that there was a time when there were both apostles and elders. But then gradually the apostles faded away and the, uh, the elders took their place as it were of leadership. Thus only male pastors must be appointed as leaders of the church today. This is an essential organizational order. This is what is laid down in the word of God. Secondly, Whereas only male deacons were appointed as assistants to the pastors as the need arose for them in individual local churches, in local churches, thus do pastors have the same biblical authority to do the same today if we follow scriptures. Thirdly, whereas specific qualifications had to be met 
before either pastors or deacons could serve, thus must man meet the same qualifications before they can serve in either of these positions today. Those are the principles we see from scripture. I believe this is a mandate from God. I believe he's concerned about the way that we administer the church. That's why he's given us his manual. If we don't, we will suffer for it. Church will not be done, run efficiently on an organized manner. The word of God will not be able to be proclaimed in the way it should. And the saints will not be able to be cared for the way it should. They should be. We need to follow God's manual for church organization. Selah.